Hey, Dog Nation, it's Brandon Adams. Really quick before we get started, want to remind you to go to dognation.com and find out more details about our Kroger five-star mom promotion. You can nominate a mom in your life, whether it be your own, your wife, whatever else, to be honored as one of our Kroger five-star moms. We'll be announcing those winners coming up on the show here really soon. Everyone who wins is going to get a $50 gift card courtesy of Kroger, $50 Bath & Body Works gift card, and a $50 Home Chef gift card. So it's a big prize. Your chance to nominate dognation.com for more details on that. Now, hope you enjoy Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Presented by dognation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. It has already been an eventful offseason for Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning and get the impression that the eventful nature of this time in his life is not quite yet done. Let me kind of go through all of this, including what we now know. And I'll kind of begin, uh, I guess, this way. Uh, when it comes to uh, you know what has happened for Lanning in the past, if you want to go back to the beginning of the calendar year with new head coach Steve Sarkeesian, they're in the mix there at Texas. There was discussion of well, who his defensive coordinator might be, and in that particular case, it was Dan Lanning who had emerged as a candidate there. We know that Texas has got deep pockets. We know the brand-new head coach. They would be looking to spend whatever they needed to to give him the staff that he wanted, and Lanning was rumored to be that defensive coordinator for Steve Sarkeesian at Texas, but then uh, George was able to keep Dan Lanning. Lanning decided he wanted to remain at UGA. In fact, he put it out there on Twitter, and I'll show you this at the time with the hashtag run it back. That was something that got uh, a lot of Georgia fans excited uh, about you know Dan Lanning not going to Texas, staying there uh, at, at, at UGA for, for the uh, 2021 season. That was good news. But then there was more details uh, related to what was going down with uh, Dan Lanning in terms of once Les Miles was fired at head coach at Kansas because of some uh, impropriety that took place during his time at uh, LSU. Going to go back to the month of March on this. When you start thinking about, well, who's the replacement for Les Miles at Kansas going to be? All of a sudden, at that point in time, you started hearing a little bit about, well, maybe Dan Lanning is a candidate for the uh, job there at, uh, at at Kansas. One of the first people to bring that up was CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd. You want to go back to March on this, uh, Dodd gave some reasons at the time why he thought that Lanning might be a potential ca- candidate and a good fit for the Kansas head coaching job. I'll read you a couple of sentences here, cbssports.com, going back to uh, March on this, uh, that uh, Dodd says that Lanning knows the territory as a Kansas City native. He recruited Kansas JUCOs while at Arizona State under uh, Todd Graham. So he's got some geographic ties to the area, Dodd says, having grown up there. And he's also the kind of guy that's recruited this territory before. So that kind of came out in March. We haven't really heard much about that since then. But now new details kind of emerging on this over the course of the last 24 hours or so. Uh, Football Scoop kind of putting it out there that the interview process for the Kansas job is now beginning. And and the story that's up there by John Bryce Football Scoop, they give us kind of an interesting uh, nugget here that uh, the way that Bryce writes it is that interviews for the position are ongoing this week, he says. And the Kansas job, despite no real success in the program since 2007-2008, is actually eliciting interest from both successful sitting head coaches and on-the-rise coordinators 
Once again, that's John Bryce from uh, Football Scoop. So it's pretty interesting that Bryce says, hey, normally you might think of this being a job that not that many folks would want, but in the case of this particular situation, there's actually a little bit more interest in this than you might otherwise think. And I think that's kind of an interesting way to word that. Now, I was going to try to read you a couple sentences from this, and I didn't have it pulled up. So let me try to see if I can pull this back up again, because I think when you actually dive deep into what Football Scoop uh, reports here, now, listen, I think the Football Scoop is a terrific website, but the way in which they write this is very carefully worded. They do mention landing for the job and citing some of the same stuff that Dennis Dodd mentioned in, in terms of his overall you know, ties to the area, having grown up in the Kansas City area, having known you know the, the state of Kansas from a recruiting standpoint. But the, the actual wording of whether or not Lanning is interviewing for the job or not is difficult for me to ascertain on this. Uh, on the one hand, uh, they write, this is John Bryce again at Football Scoop, who says that there are some high-profile coordinators are among those already uh, already to have spoken or scheduled to speak with uh, Kansas here and the four-person hiring committee. Uh, but then Football Scoop goes on to say that uh, these are the guys that are of some interest to Kansas. In other words... We can't quite tell if Lanning is interest of Kansas or if Kansas is of interest to Dan Lanning on the basis of this. And also the, going through the paces of an interview doesn't necessarily mean that you would plan on leaving Georgia for that. But this is an example here from uh, footballscoop.com of just very carefully worded language. There are a bunch of guys that are out there. Kansas has interest in these guys. Supposedly high-profile coordinators have interest in interviewing for the job. But obviously in this particular case, Football Scoop doesn't outright say that Lanning is going to be one of those guys who interviews. And I think the language they choose to use here is pretty careful. And I say that as someone who's a pretty big fan of what Football Scoop does. In fact, let me give you kind of another example of this. Uh, you heard me mention a moment ago, sitting head coaches potentially being in the mix of this job there as well once again listen to the careful wording of this language here John Bryce running a football scoop says sources tell football scoop that among those invited to interview include Army coach Jeff Monken, Buffalo coach Lance Leopold, Tulane coach Willie Fritz, Eastern Michigan coach Chris Creighton, and interim Kansas coach Emmett Jones. So you hear that language there. It's not, hey, these are the guys that are interviewed. This is the guy who Kansas is clearly targeted. No, it's more along the lines of these guys have been invited to interview. Dan Landing, a part of a high profile group of coordinators, which by the way also includes Mike Elk. Co from Kansas, uh, Kansas, excuse me, Texas A&M. That's a name we've heard on a lot of these coaching openings over time. Uh, these are the guys that are of interest to Kansas. Now, they also say there are guys who are interested in interviewing for this job too, but in terms of who actually those people are, Football Scoop doesn't get into whole, you know a ton of specifics about that, but you are led to believe here that, that, that there could possibly be a connection between Dan Lanning and Kansas for this head coaching opening right now. Now, the whole issue of would Lanning actually consider taking a job like this, I think kind of comes down to one or two things here for a moment. It's kind of on the one hand, on the other hand type situation, if you will. On the one hand, this is a head coaching position in the Power Five, and that's obviously a, you know, a pretty coveted place to be. But on the other hand, this is probably the worst head coaching job in the Power Five. So is it is it good enough just to be a Power Five head coach? Or does Dan Lanning, who's kind of one of the young, hotshot, rising star names in the coaching ranks, would he potentially aspire to more at this stage of his career than just a spot at Kansas where 
Previous coaches have kind of failed. You know, Les Miles, despite success at LSU, did not work out. David Beatty, I think you'll never really hear from him in major coaching circles again. That was the uh, predecessor to Les Miles there. And kind of on and on you go. Kansas kind of being that sort of remote outpost in the Power 5 landscape where coaches go to to never be heard from again. Does Dan Lanning kind of view this as that for him? Or does the fact that, hey, he grew up in Kansas City. He knows the area. Maybe because of that, the professionalism that he brings to the table, he knows he'd be getting a long leash there, many years to turn the program around, and who knows, maybe big-time bucks there as well. And I think that part of this is kind of interesting. You saw that with Mel Tucker uh, when he left Colorado after a brief tenure to go be head coach at Michigan State. Sometimes when programs are desperate enough, they have to pony up big to pay for guys who otherwise you know, may not quite have had the experience to earn that kind of uh, big money. That's what Tucker benefited from at Michigan State, and maybe there's the possibility of this when it comes to a Dan Landing there at Kansas there as well. So the bottom line on this for now is it's difficult for me to say exactly where all this is going. There are reasons to assume that, that Kansas may just be too small of a job for a guy like Dan Lanning who might be able to ride his own path forward with a bigger and better job in the years to come. But the fact that he knows the area, that he's from the area, maybe even has a little bit of a what you might think of as a, you know, kind of a sentimental tie to the area, maybe that means a, a little bit more here. And I'll also take a moment to say this. There's also some Georgia fans out there who, you know, clearly don't want to lose Lanning. But if Lanning were to leave, take a job uh, somewhere else here, they would just simply pivot around and say, well, that's okay. His replacement's already on staff as an analyst right now. You could just hire Will Muschamp and slide Muschamp in in place of Dan Lanning and then wish him well for his next job. And there is a chance that if Lanning were to truly become a serious candidate for the Kansas job, if he were actually to take this head coaching position or some other job you know, in addition to that, then maybe it could be that simple as just sliding Muschamp in. But I said this when when Lanning turned down Texas to stay at UGA. To me, it was one of the most underrated stories of the Georgia offseason, at least at this point in time, that continuity with coordinators matter. That's what the very, very best teams find a way to do year over year. They bring back those coordinators and enjoy that success. Also, even though Georgia did not show up great in a defensive sense in its biggest games this past season against the Alabamas, the Floridas of the world, the overall transformation of the Georgia defense that has under uh, been undertaken by Dan Lanning, I, I do think he deserves a lot of credit for that, as this team has become better at those so-called havoc plays, certainly sacking the quarterback last year at a better rate than at any point in time previous to that there in Kirby Smart which is to say nothing the fact that I believe right now, according to 24-7 Sports, Lanning is also rated as the number one recruiter in the country for that class in 2022 because of all the big-time you know, linebacker prospects that he's brought in for this uh, upcoming recruiting cycle. I do truly believe that Dan Lanning is a coach on the rise, and if you're thinking about Georgia's national championship formula, uh, if you're thinking about the equation that could result in a championship for the Dogs, I think keeping Lanning is a big part of that not to say that you couldn't win a title if you didn't have landing just keeping your defensive coordinator in place makes it far easier I guess I'm assuming that he probably doesn't really take the Kansas job it's not even obvious from the football scoop story that he's even truly going to interview for it he might though and I would say this is a story worth watching a little bit as a uh, guy who's from that part of the world has overtures now from the place that he once called home probably worth paying attention to and for Georgia fans who saw their program fight hard to keep landing once before this offseason they may need to watch as the dogs fight to now keep him here once again 
My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger and Glad to have you with us no matter how. You get to us today live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960, The Rev, and of course, as a podcast, wherever you find them, the Apple Player, the Google Player, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com. Many of you listen right there through SoundCloud, however you get to the show, we just really appreciate you being here, and big thanks to our friends at Kroger for making it all possible. And by the way, speaking of Kroger, uh, this is really important that I make you aware of this. They've got a big event going on that you need to know about. So many of the uh, folks right now looking for jobs. Well, Kroger has a hiring event going on this weekend in Georgia, South Carolina, and Tennessee. So three big states, all positions. It's going to be going on starting today, April 23rd through the 25th, from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, so you can have a great, great experience working uh, with Kroger and obviously taking great care of their employees and doing so many great things. So if you're in Georgia, South Carolina, or Tennessee right now, you can jump in there and uh, and be a part of a big, big uh, uh, hiring event that's going on. Jobs.Kroger.com for more details on that. That's Jobs.Kroger.com for a lot more information on that. All right, we got uh, our buddy Mike Griffith coming in. Very special Friday appearance for Mike, and a good day to have him on the show, just given the fact there are the landing. I don't. Know, I would say, there, as I said before, more than rumors, slightly less than actual news. We'll call it a report. How about that? Just kind of a report on Dan Landing that's out there right now. So we'll do some of that with our buddy Mike Griffith in a moment. We'll recap G-Day, and we'll talk a little bit about the possibility, and this is one of the things I am kind of interested in from Mike, because I know he's talked about this on our show last week, the possibility that Georgia is still active in the transfer portal in these remaining months of spring and summer, uh, even though you got Tyke Smith coming in as a transfer here from West Virginia very soon. I think he's slated to arrive in the next few weeks. How about more transfer names than that, including maybe one guy that I thought there might be a chance you'd hear some about Georgia, who appears to be now heading somewhere else. So we'll do all that with Mike coming up in a moment. Before that, though, it is Around the Doghouse, and we have had a week of proposed college football rule changes, actual rule changes, and this one is actually going to take place. There is a new change coming for the college football overtime rule. And I think this is uh, uh, really kind of interesting. So we've had this thing before where I think in the past it's like the third overtime. Instead of kicking the extra point, you had to start going for two each and every time. Of course, college football starts its overtime from the uh, 25-yard line in you know, teams trade possessions. That's going to now be a, a little bit different. So I'm going to read this straight from the NCAA. Teams will now be required to run a two-point conversion play after a touchdown once the game reaches the second overtime period. So first overtime, you can kick a field goal if you want to. I should say kick an extra point if you want to. Second overtime, you have to go for two. And then by the time you reach the third overtime, now all that's going to be are corresponding two-point plays over and over and over again. So you're no longer starting from the 25-yard line once you get to the to the third overtime. Now, listen, I am kind of a creature of habit. habit. I am you know, very much against almost all forms of change. A lot of folks are, and I'll be honest enough about myself to admit that about me. I don't like change. So when I hear a thing like this, my immediate reaction is, oh, this is going to be terrible. This is not going to be good at all. And I'm always have to force to be somewhat introspective to kind of go back and, and try to think about this, whether this is just me being typically averse to change or if this really is something I don't like. And in this particular case, the best I can tell by truly trying to search the you know annals of my brain, the best that I can tell is I think it is my genuine opinion that this is not going to be good for college football. And for the most part, I'm just kind of a – I mean, I, I do think there is something to be said for 
you know, hesitant to change because sometimes the changes that take place in college football to me end up being a solution in search of a problem. And to me, this is an example of that. You know, there aren't very many college football games. There was obviously the high-profile example of LSU and Texas A&M a couple of years ago that sort of dragged on forever. But those instances in overtime are actually fairly rare. You don't have that occur too much. And so by now making this radical change to the overtime you know, period to, I guess, solve a problem that only pops up every so often, to me, just seems short-sighted. And to me, it also runs counter to the other big initiative that exists in college football right now, where we're seeing reduction in full pads practices in the summer and you know, I guess potential reduction in the number of of, of scrimmages that take place uh, in that summer period there as well. Uh, you know, folks with good reason want to make the game as safe as it can possibly be. I got news for you. The average conversion rate on a two-point play in college football is somewhere between 40-something percent and 50 percent, which means that there are going to be, you know, moments in which, you know, hey, just one two-point conversion for one side wins the game. But with the uh, conversion rate as high as it is, about a, you know, 50-50 chance on this, there are going to be moments when one team converts one, another team converts one, then another team comes back and converts one, and then another team comes back and converts one. And you're basically going to start running just a series of two-point plays from you know short yardage over and over and over again. And I guarantee this is going to happen. At some point in time, people are going to say, well, how is this going for player safety to have so many short yardage plays over and over and over again? Uh, I guarantee you at some point this is going to be asked from a kind of uh, player safety perspective, essentially by you know pushing for radical change to solve a problem that may or may not exist, you've actually created kind of a new problem. And I sort of think that's kind of the way this is going. Also, just from the aesthetic standpoint, I hate the way that sports sometimes will create a kind of an overtime system that looks so different than the way the rest of the game goes. A lot of folks will compare this to like the soccer rule with the penalty kicks. Now, listen, I'm not a huge soccer fan, so you know maybe I actually you know true blue dyed in the wool soccer fans feel different. But I think you know playing soccer, which can be like a really grueling physical game played on a huge, I guess they call it a pitch, but a huge field. Uh, and then to then once the game is tied at the end, solve it by penalty kicks, which is essentially like a barroom game. Someone who was drunk to participate in a penalty kick exercise. I think deciding the game that way after playing it for 60 minutes the other way, or however long the game is, uh, I, I think that just seems kind of dumb to me. The same way Major League Baseball now, where you're putting the runner on second base to start extra innings, I think that's kind of a kind of a. I think it cheapens what ought to be the integrity of the competition. And frankly, I think doing this with the college football overtime is kind of uh, not a good step in the right direction either. I'm sure many of you maybe feel different, and I'll give you a chance to weigh in on that if you'd like to. But that is a change that is on its way for college football, and that is around the doghouse here today. By the way, uh, before we check in with Mike Griffith there in Athens, let me mention the Athens real estate market here for a moment because many of you know it is red hot and many of you have aspirations to be a part of it, whether it be as an investor or someone who owns one of those game day condos or retiring there or just living there to raise your family. Uh, whatever your situation is that draws you towards Athens, you want expert and local knowledge on your side in the real estate professional that you trust to aid you with your transaction. And that's what my friends at Five Market Realty can provide for you uh, there as well. They were also a part of the Bulldog, uh, the 2021 Bulldog 100 list, which means these are good dogs people they 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 love UGA they love the Athens community they love talking dogs and they love serving people with their real estate needs so if you're thinking about that you know investment in a uh, property that students may live in or you're on Airbnb type deal or retirement game day condo just home to live in whatever your plans are my friends at five market realty can help you with that so let me let you know how to get in touch with them 
It's the number five, 5MRealty.com. That's the number five, 5MRealty.com. That'll get you in touch with Five Market Realty there today. So if you want to weigh in on the overtime thing, hit me up in the comment section or on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. You can be a part of our podcast cool down on this also at the end of the show there as well. Uh, so we'll just kind of uh, talk through that. It feels like a change for the worse for me, but uh, maybe I'm in the minority on that. A lot more to get to now. What happened on G-Day? Uh, what's going to happen next for Georgia as they go through the offseason. And we'll do a little bit of the Dan Lanning stuff, too. It's our buddy Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Glad to have you with us as well. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Mike Griffith here, uh, doing a great job covering the dogs for uh, DogNation.com. A lot to get to with Mike. Mike, I guess for two seconds here, let me just bring you on the topic I was just having. I was kind of, you know, I guess chiding myself a little bit. I, I can never tell if I'm just against change because I'm against change or if change really is bad. But I don't like the new overtime rule. I, I don't like going for two every time on the third overtime. I think eventually people are going to complain about this worse than whatever, you know, tepid complaints we hear about the current overtime uh, system. I think some changes are solutions in search of a problem. This feels like one of those for me. What do you make of it? Yeah, it kind of defeats the purpose, doesn't it? Um, you know, just just have ties. Then, I mean, instead of changing the game, just have ties. If you if you if you're going to change the whole scope of the game, but the two point conversions, I mean, oh my gosh, it seems like every time we turn around, BA, I, I know they're making moves to to make the game more safe, but um, you know, just wipe out a, a overtime entirely and, and, and make it for ties. Then, if you're not going to, you know, honor the uh, you know, the way the game is supposed to be played and the strategy of the game, then then don't bother with it. Just don't do it. Just go back to time. Yeah, I mean, I, I promise I'll make this really quick and we'll move on. I'm, I'm not a huge soccer fan, but I told our audience a moment ago, I think it's so dumb to, you know, play a grueling physical game and then decide it via penalty kicks. That just does not feel like the same sport to me once you do that. Major League Baseball now – starts its uh, extra innings period with a runner standing on second base. I think that's kind of a, a way of cheapening what otherwise is an intense competition in Major League Baseball. I think there's something to making your sport look the way that it's supposed to in the most crucial moments of the game, which in college football take place near the end of the game. I think the overtime standard that college football sets is also the best in sports, I'd say. I'm also just kind of a college football obsessive all the way around. So to me, it looks like a why fix what in my eyes does not appear to be broken type thing. Or if you're going to fix it, fix it a different way and shorten the quarters to 12 minutes and keep the overtime, right? Make the game shorter just in general um, and then maintain your overtime period for ties. There's a lot of different ways you could approach this rather than change the overtime rules. I think it'll lead to a lot of confusion and probably frustration. All right, let me bring you in on the Dan Lanning stuff. As I told our audience before, I like football scoop a lot. I think I think they do a really good job with kind of their corner of the world, which is these kinds of coaching rumors. The story that I read from on the air is very carefully worded. It's pretty clear, according to them, there are a lot of folks who are interested in this job. It's not entirely clear, though, to me that Dan Lanning is truly going to interview for it, although maybe uh, that is the case. On the one hand, this is a Power 5 job. On the other hand, this is probably the worst Power 5 job. On the other, other hand, it is a part of the world in which Dan Lanning you know, seemingly would have some sentimental ties and certainly knows well as a you know former recruiter and you know just kind of former guy there in that area. What do you make of the possibility that Dan Lanning potentially in the running here for the Kansas head coaching job as a replacement for, uh, for uh, Les Miles? Oh, 
I mean, there's a lot of schools that are going to have interest in Dan Lanning, but, you know, based on the jobs that he's already turned down, I, I can't imagine that Kansas would be at the top of his list. I mean, when you're a, a coach like Dan that, you know, is so promising, you kind of got your hand, you got to play it carefully, right? When you do leave, you need to go to a job where you can have success or your career as a head coach could be short-lived. I don't see Kansas as a, uh, the sort of program that, that one can, uh, you know, build their career off of. Um, been a bit of a coaching graveyard of late, frankly. Um, even Mark Mangino, who had great success, wasn't able to parlay that into any sort of long-term tenure. So uh, I don't think that's a job for a guy, uh, the, a rising star like Dan Lanning. I think that's probably a landing spot for someone who's star is descending and, and wants to make one final cash grab. You know, as someone who, as a Georgia fan, really wants Georgia to keep Lanning, I think that Lanning, uh, I think one of the biggest stories of the offseason thus far is the fact that Georgia was able to hold on to him and prevent him from taking the Texas defensive coordinator job. I still don't think that part of the offseason story for Georgia has probably gotten enough attention. I guess the one thing that would give me a little bit of pause on this is, you know, what if Kansas is so desperate that they're willing to offer him the kind of money that a – that a sitting head coach would earn in a situation like this? And what if they're so desperate, they'd tell him, hey, we're going to give you X number of years to truly get this thing turned around because we need to look professional on the heels of a Les Miles debacle and a David Beatty disaster prior to that. What if they're so desperate they just have to to, to do anything that it takes to kind of get a professional face at the head of that program, and all of a sudden it's the kind of life-changing money that maybe you don't care if you ever coach again at that point in time? Well, I mean, at some point you got to like what you do. I mean, what if Kansas offered you a job for Jayhawk Daily at double your salary? I guarantee you wouldn't take it because you'd be miserable there. And there's something to be said for being in a place that you like and that you enjoy. And sorry for speaking for you, B.A. Maybe you're a closet Jayhawks fan. But I don't think there's any amount of money that could that could get you to Kansas to do a, a daily Jayhawk show, is there? Well, that's actually an interesting way of putting this. Here's what I'll say. Would I go to Lawrence, Kansas for double my current salary? I probably wouldn't. Would I go there for three times my current salary at that point in time? I think there's a very good chance I'd be saying rock chalk at 10 a.m. <laughs> rock chalk, B-A, who, who knew? I, but I just, I just think that long-term for a guy like Dan Laney, I think you know he's in a good spot with his family here. He's got a lot of job security. It's a great job working with Kirby. And I say working with Kirby because Kirby does work with, with Lanning, and he's got a lot of respect for him. And now they've added Will Muschamp uh, to the room, which, you know, I think is just a, a real winning chip. Uh, I was talking with Coach Goff the other day about the value of uh, having another guy around like that uh, for Kirby. And of course, Coach Goff recruited Will Muschamp and Kirby, so he knows both these guys. And and he agreed it helps to have another guy like that in the room. And uh, I just and I think that, I think Dan Lanning benefits from that. I don't think Dan's in any hurry. You know, he got a pretty good bump. I think he got a five hundred thousand dollar raise last year. $500,000 raise. Did that just come out of my mouth? Right. Yes, that happens to coaches, right? So he's making plenty of money. He's in a place that he likes, and he's got kids he recruited, and uh, a lot of excitement around the program right now. All right, let me shift gears here. We haven't really heard you on this show on the subject of G-Day. I did think you had a great interview, though, on Monday with SEC Network analyst Cole Kublik. In fact, we've played some of the audio from that on this show here this week. So I'll just go open-ended with you, and you can kind of take this where you want to go. What did you think of G-Day and the way that it went down on Saturday? You know, it's interesting uh, looking at it from the three dimensions. I think the national media was more impressed than we were. I, I, it's almost like it, we've been paying, you know, haven't you been paying Like, hey, you know what? JT Daniels is really good. We're like, yeah, no kidding. Have you not been paying attention here? 
you know, it's kind of like that. It's like, you know, now the rest of the country feels like Georgia's good. Like, yeah, we've been telling you that the whole offseason. Uh, and you didn't even really see a great receiving core, right? You saw A.D. Mitchell catch, you know, six, seven passes, and there were six he didn't catch. He had a couple drops. I didn't think he was magnificent. I thought he did well enough to be a guy that you say, yeah, that guy could be in the rotation. Uh, but he's not going to be a 40 or 50 catch guy. Uh, he just happened to be playing the X, and as J.T. explained, that's, that's where the coverage dictated that he went with the ball. I mean, J.T. goes to the line and says, what are you going to give me? You know, he doesn't go to the line eyeing up one guy going, I'm going to this guy every time. He goes to the line saying, all right, let me, let me see what you're playing. Let me see where my matchup is. Let me see what the coverage dictates I do. And, you know, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take what you give me, right? And, and he can do that. He's that skilled. He can make all the throws. He makes all the reads. And the question is, can the receivers and the backs and the tight ends be on the same page? That's the question. And uh, I thought they looked pretty good, D.A. I was impressed with the quarterback depth. I thought uh, – you know, JT Daniels was fabulous. Um, that should be everybody's first takeaway is this guy is legit. He's an NFL quarterback. I think he's Peyton Manning-like with his focus and his depth and his intellect. Um, but after that, again, I think we already knew that, uh, people that follow Georgia. But after that, I was impressed with how fluid Carson Beck looked. Not just good, but fluid, um, you know, capable. Uh, Vandergriff, what he did, he did really well. There was promise there. Still way early in the game to be predicting anything about 2022, in my opinion. Don't even know who the coordinator will be. Um, tight ends were fabulous. Uh, Bowers was what we were told he would be. And Darnell Washington reminded us why we got so excited about him a year ago. Boy, when he gets rumbling, 6'7", 285 is unbelievable. I mean, that guy, man among boys. So there was a lot of excitement uh, at those spots for me. I thought the backs were adequate, but not great. Nobody ran for more than nine yards on a carry. I, you know, not much difference between them as far as how they looked in this particular scrimmage. Um, defensively, uh, yeah, the defensive front's the real deal. Um, impressed. Uh, Quay Walker wearing that number seven. I saw him flash a lot. Maybe some improvement there. Uh, really hard to evaluate the secondary, though, because a very vanilla outing yeah. for them. They didn't really do a whole lot, but... Did they look okay? Yeah, they looked okay. Did they look great? No, they didn't look great. Yeah, defense is always going to be hard for me in a spring game situation like that because you're trying not to get players hurt. You're just not playing real defense. Now, <laughs> the way these rules keep changing, I'm not, I don't know when you're supposed to play real defense anymore, but uh, certainly in the spring game, that's just not really a kind of time that you're going to be doing that. So, to me, it's always a tough evaluation for the defense. And, you know, you mentioned Darnell Washington, so I'll go there because I've talked about him so much this week. Mike, I just think that's one of the real – you know, revelations for me, and, and I've said this, and I'll, I'll keep saying this. I think that Washington right now, really, even though he was always an impressive specimen, I think he's actually ahead of where I assumed he would be going into his second year because I thought the learning curve with him would, would be a little steep, and the challenge for Georgia to get the most of that raw potential over the course of the three or four years he was going to be on campus was always going to be a challenging thing. But to me, Mike, it's happening. And as I've told a couple of our people here this week, to me, Washington has now gone from being a project, someone who could be good, to now being a player, someone who I truly expect to be good, even though I think that Georgia's got a lot of potential receiving options and running backs they want to throw to there as well. 
I just think that Darnell Washington is going to be one of the most pivotal playmakers for Georgia on the field this fall. I think they're going to throw to him. I think that 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 uh, when you talk about you know replacing some of the production that George Pickens would have provided had had he been there for the full season, uh, I think that Washington's a big part of that story. I really expect Darnell Washington to be more than kind of a fun side story for Georgia, but actually more a part of the kind of above the fold, you know, you know, big big story as to how Georgia gets it done this season. I just think Washington's a part of that. Yeah, I thought the operative word you used there is on the field um, because this is a guy that can also block. So that means he's a three-down tight end. I mean, he can line up tight or he can split out wide. I mean, he's a real weapon. If you're on defense, you just don't know what's Darnell going to do from play to play. you got to have a plan for zero, right? What are you going to do? What if? And uh, certainly a guy they didn't use much of that we've heard a lot of is John Fitzpatrick. He's another one of those guys that's going to be on the field a lot that can block and catch. And then Brock Bowers is just a matchup difficulty. I mean, you don't see many freshmen coming in that can vertical jump 40 inches and run a 4-5-40 that are Brock Bowers' size. I mean, this guy's George Kittle-like. Uh, I think he's exciting. I think he's going to have a chance to be a difference maker. Um, and I think it's part of the reason why, you know, Georgia fans can kind of shrug off Eric Gilbert a little bit. I mean, you never say no to a great playmaker like that. But at the same time, there were some complications with Gilbert, and when you look at the Georgia tight end room now and you see what Brock Bowers can do, you can kind of understand why nobody was sweating it over there. Um, and then as far as the perimeter, uh, you know, Kyrus and, and Demetrius Robertson, I mean, these are guys that are, they're, they're going to give you what they got. I don't think either one of them are going to be in the NFL Pro Bowl at any time. But, but they're hardworking guys. Uh, I think I like Kyrus a little better. I think he works a little harder to get open. D-Rob's got speed, but... Not much of a catch radius. You pretty much got to put it on his numbers. You saw that, caught that ball out of bounds, probably should have been able to get his feet and bounce at this stage of his career. Just an adequate guy, probably not an NFL player. Uh, really need Burton and Blaylock to come back. Uh, those are guys that have high ceilings, uh, that can make those plays downfield. Uh, right now, that's probably my biggest concern. Who's going to make that play deep downfield? You say Arian Smith, but he likes to run track. So, uh, you know, he's, he's splitting his time there, and he's injured right now with the wrist. And we actually saw Carson Beck overthrow him. I understand he had a sore ankle. So uh, is Arian Smith going to be a role player? Will he be a dynamic figure in the offense? Uh, is he going to end up running track at the Olympics or playing the NFL? We don't really know. Um, so those are some questions I was left with. I want to ask you more about what the rest of the offseason is going to look like for George in a moment. First, let me remind our folks who are listening right now, you know, if you want to succeed in your career, the number one key to that is having the skills that you need. And so if you're looking to take the next step with your job or maybe if you're outside the workforce looking to get into, uh, you know, a better career or if you're a business owner and you want to just increase the skills of the guys and gals that you have working for you, the Technical College System of Georgia has a great situation going on right now for you so that you're able to do that. It's called the uh, Economic Development Platform here uh, where you can get a short-term training, uh, licensure industry uh, specific uh, certifications a lot of that being provided by the technical college system of georgia right now uh, by local industry experts whether it be online or in person or kind of a hybrid of all of that here are some of the 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 learning opportunities that exist out there forklift operator certification uh certified logistics technician industrial maintenance technician cloud practitioner training uh leadership opportunities there as well some great great opportunities if you're watching your screen you can see this it's training with tcsg.com for more details that's train with tcsg.com for more details on that i love the work that my friends at the technical college systems of georgia are doing right now uh and these this economic development uh situation 
Great chance to get involved. Great chance to do some really good things. I hope that you will all check that out today. Uh, Mike, let me move on this way. There was kind of an interesting, you know, this is more than a rumor, but uh, I guess I was interested in it because of some possible rumors. I've been following the news with Mike Woods, the former Arkansas wide receiver, who I would say somewhat surprisingly chose to leave the uh, Razorbacks program. And you start to wonder, is this a guy going to be in the mix for other SEC schools? Had a relationship with Justin Strepp, the uh, new South Carolina wide receivers coach. Georgia's also got a couple scholarships to play with here as well and it seems like on the basis of reporting coming out of Norman it seems like Mike Woods may actually be on his way to Oklahoma here so this may not come to fruition but it is a reminder of to me of what we're going to be doing a lot here this offseason which is when a big name pops up knowing that that Georgia's got a couple scholarships to kind of play with here at least we think they do that we'll be left to wonder hey is this a transfer name that that Georgia's looking to get involved with how active do you think on the heels of bringing in Tyke Smith obviously already how active do you expect Georgia to be in that transfer portal market in the remainder of the spring and summer ahead of the 2021 season well you know as far as a receiver goes if you don't get one in the next couple of few weeks i I don't think you will uh, because this whoever you get or don't get I guess or if you were to get someone they would have to learn the offense it takes time right we talked about how it takes time to learn Munkin's NFL system and and the depth of knowledge you need to have and the kind of work you got to put in in the off season and I think a lot of that work's going to happen in May so if Georgia's going to get somebody, they need to get him pretty soon. Um, you know, the SEC at this point still has that rule where you've got to get a, a waiver. We, we don't know if that rule's going to change. So, you know, that would certainly uh, seem to be a bit of a roadblock. If you're Mike Woods, I don't know why you'd go somewhere where there's a chance, even as remote as it may seem, that you may have to sit out a year. So the rumors about Oklahoma are probably true. You know, you look at Texas as well with Steve Sarkeesian there. You wonder if maybe that might attract someone. He is originally from Texas. Uh, he's, it's too bad because he's exactly what Georgia needs at the X spot. You know, he's a big target. You look at the average yards per catch and a guy with good speed and good hands. And, um, you know, you just shake your head or you beat it against the table here. I mean, as much work as Georgia's put into recruiting this receiver room, they still don't have a competent X right now going into this year with Pickens down. Um, he's not one that's healthy, right? Justin Robinson got injured. Uh, Jermaine Burton really isn't an X. That's not his thing. And if your best option is a incoming freshman like Katie Mitchell, then, you know, somebody didn't do their job. I mean, there needs to be somebody better at that spot, for goodness sakes. And um, it, it is it is disappointing that Pickens got hurt, but there should be somebody ready to go uh, next up. Next man up should be capable. I think Justin Robinson's pretty good, but he's still only a second-year guy. I don't think he had a catch last year. So um, that's, that's a bit troubling to me. Uh, but to answer your question, Mike Woods would be a great fit, but I, I – I'm inclined to think that until this SEC rule changes, and there's no guarantee it will, by the way, there are some advantages to saying, hey, you can't go from one SEC school to another. Um, you know, that there would be, you know, certainly that would help Georgia protect some of the players they're developing. But it kind of works both ways, and in this is an instance you kind of say, boy, it sure would be great to get a guy like Mike Woods. And you look around, and maybe there's other players, and maybe there's cornerbacks in the league that might want to come here if that rule was, wasn't in effect. Yeah, I think I think this wide receiver situation at Georgia is a little better than you do. Now, I don't know that it's going to be the best in the country or anything like that. And, you know, obviously, you know, I, I, you, you see a couple of SEC, you know, programs that have kind of established sort of a perennial sense of, you know, big wide receiver play year after year after year. And what remains to be seen if George is going to join that. But honestly left the spring feeling pretty good about the wide receiver situation for Georgia in light of the George Pickens injury. Uh, Jermaine Burton certainly seems like he's on his way back to full health. Uh, Kirby Smart gave a very hopeful 
uh, struck a hopeful tone the other day in describing Marcus Roseme Jackson, who I, I thought after the injury that he suffered in at Jacksonville, he might be on the way long road back to recovery. But Smart called him close the other day. Um, it seems like not, you know, Dominic Blaylock is on his way to a recovery there as well. And, you know, when a former three-star recruiter didn't even play football last year, shows you something on G-Day and backs up the rumors that have been out there this spring that he might be capable of being in the rotation for you. I think that's also kind of a, a pleasant surprise there as well. I mean, obviously you'd love to have George Pickens and maybe before the season's done, that'll, that'll be the case. But actually, all things considered, I think the Georgia receiving situation actually sets up well right now, which is not to say that if you could have brought in a big, you know, uh, you know, stretch the field type deep threat like a Mike Woods, I would have turned it down. But I think I think this receiver situation right now at Georgia is a little more comfortable than you seem to think it is. Yeah, I guess I just think when you got a guy like T. Daniels, you wish you had some all his first team all SEC guys out there for him to throw to. You know, I mean, I just I don't see any of those guys being first team all SEC. Yeah, I don't see any of those guys being all Americans. I don't see any of those guys being first round draft picks. You know, you look at what Mac Jones had and what Joe Burrow had at LSU and Alabama, and you say, no, why can't you have that for JT Daniels? This is Georgia, right? You had how many top five classes in a row, and there's not a first round draft pick on this team right now. I mean, there is, but he's injured, right, Pickens? But that, that, that to me, is what's disappointing. Um, you know, is, is it good enough? It probably. You know, it's good enough. We talk a lot about that, what's good enough. Good enough uh, to probably get you to the SEC championship game. I don't know what it's going to take then. I don't know if any of these guys are going to be 100% when they come back. I, I can't predict how someone's going to come off of injury. Sometimes, you know, you get your Nick Chubb stories out there, and, you know, and then there's plenty of other stories of guys that just were never quite right again. You know, I mean, Don Blaylock came back and got injured right away. So you, you just you hope for the best, but you've got to be realistic and, and kind of recognize that those receivers are a bit of an unknown until they're back on the field and showing us they can do it. I just I, I, I have a lot of faith in modern day medicine. I've been vaccinated, but I, I'm just not convinced that we can assume they're going to be back what they were before their injury. Um, wiser, smarter. Certainly they've paid close attention. Um, but will they be as dynamic? I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I don't see their medical charts, and it's hard for me to forecast uh, how they're going to heal. You're talking about some elite athletes out there where a tenth of a second makes all the difference. And, yeah, the G-Day game looked good, and, and part of that was how well the quarterbacks played. But, again, you know, they weren't exactly playing a, a lockdown secondary, right? There's five guys going to the NFL that aren't on that team anymore, and I don't know if any of those guys out there playing cornerback ever started a game, much less covered anybody worse. So, it's really hard for me to predict. I think the tight ends look great. I think the running backs are strong. I think the offensive line is talented. But I have question marks at receiver. Not enough of a question mark to say I don't think Georgia will win the East. I absolutely think Georgia will win the East. I would double down on that, two-to-one odds. But to win a national championship, and that's really where our discussion's at these days at Georgia, I don't know about that. And just to be clear, I'm not saying that the receivers are so good that I'm sure they will. I'm saying I don't see that right now as a reason why they won't. And I'll give you one final point, and then uh, we'll get ready to wrap this up. You mentioned the first-round pick wide receiver types that other quarterbacks have had at their disposal. If we look at LSU in 2019 for a moment on this, if memory serves when Jamar Chase came into LSU, and that's a guy who's going to be you know, certainly a first-round pick here this year, this was only, and I, I apologize if I get this number wrong, but I believe I have it in my head, 
This was a recruit ranked in the 80s, like number 84 overall or something like that when he came into the program. This is not a five-star. This was like a top 100 level, you know, four-star type player. If anything, I think you can say that he kind of became a first-round pick because he had a chance to catch passes from Joe Burrow and work in an offense that was uh, led in 2019 by Joe Brady. And so, listen, I like what I saw from JT Daniels on Saturday, and I like what I saw from him at the end of last year. But, Mike, what I would suggest is if, if JT Daniels is as, is as good as you just described him to be a moment ago, then he ought to be able to turn one of these receivers into a star because by just raw, measurable talent, uh, that's what Joe Burrow did with Jamar Chase. I think he did that in the uh, G-Day game. I don't think anybody would ever heard of a Donnie Mitchell before he caught seven passes for 105 yards. But I don't, you know, could Jermaine Burton maybe be that uh, that chase figure as you talked about? I yeah. mean, Jermaine certainly has the measurables as far as his speed and his athletic ability and his catching ability. Um, you know, he would be the most likely of those guys to emerge. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of look at John Elway uh, and I think about the three amigos and the guys that, that would catch passes and fall down versus what the 49ers and Joe Montana had for our older audience. And I just don't see any of these receivers that give you much after the catch unless Jermaine Burton gets back. Rosamie looked like more of a possession guy uh, before he got hurt. Uh, again, I like Justin Robinson at that X because of his ability to elevate high point the ball, and he's a physical receiver. I like that. Um, but I just don't see, other than uh, a guy like uh, you know Jermaine Burton and his speed, uh, You know, again, Arian Smith maybe, but again, he runs track and and um, I, I'm just not sure where he, where he's at uh, as a receiver. So um, just being honest, I, I, I think this receiving core pales uh, considerably compared to what LSU and Alabama have had. Regardless, I don't think it would matter if you put Mac Jones or Joe Burrow back there. I don't think this receiving core would look any better. And that's the problem that I see. Now, this summer, uh, this can all change because you said it yourself. These guys worked hard. Uh, certainly, you know, JT's going to put the work in. He already has. That's why Kirby's delegated. And I think what Georgia has at tight end is special. I don't think it's just adequate. I think it's special. I think you've got three guys there um, that are truly receiving threats in Fitzpatrick and Bowers and Washington, all in their own different ways. Um, so I think this offense is going to be very good. I think it's going to be very physical. I think it's going to be very effective. I'm just saying, uh, you know, on my wish list, it's just a shame when you've got a quarterback like JT Daniels that you don't have a receiving arsenal uh, like LSU and Alabama have had the last two years. All right, Mike, I've kept you long, so we'll let you go. Hope you have a good weekend. We'll look forward to talking to you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger again very soon. Appreciate it, B.A. Have a good one, man. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I mean, I think Mike's take on that is interesting and, frankly, a little bit difficult to uh, – fully process. I mean, on the one hand, if JT Daniels, as Mike said, is a Peyton Manning level quarterback, then it then we're going to see receivers thriving all over the place because obviously if you're playing with that level of quarterback, Manning was a number one overall pick and a pro football Hall of Famer, if that's the level of quarterback play that Georgia's going to get, then all the receivers will thrive on that. There's no such thing as a great quarterback and that, that doesn't make you know more out of the receivers that he has. I think we also have to be really careful here for a moment and I don't know if this was just accidental or what, but you can't mention Jermaine Burton in the same sentence with Dominic Blaylock and Marcus Rosemey-Jackson when it comes to injuries. Burton, we have been led to believe, suffered a minor tweak while at practice. He is going to be fine. Uh, you know, uh, Rosemey-Jackson, Blaylock have been dealing with 
you know, season-ending type injuries. That's what uh, obviously happened to uh, Rosemary Jackson at the end of last season. People know the story with Dominic Blaylock. So, I mean, you know, uh, you know, Kirby Smart kind of cautioned on cautioned on on this already before. But the Jermaine Burton injury, while you know you certainly kind of fear the worst when a guy goes down at practice, that was the rumor on the report that had kind of come out of that that he had had to be taken off. But sometimes those hyperextension situations end up being not you know quite as serious as they initially look, and that seems to be the case there. So potentially no real big problem related to all of that, but I guess you kind of understand where all that comes from. And one more thing on this topic. If you only thought the Georgia receiving core was fine because it had George Pickens, then you never thought the Georgia receiving core was good enough. It's always it's always got to be about more than just that one guy. And as I've said before, um, I think it remains to be seen if Georgia can match what programs like Alabama and LSU have done from the receiver position, what a program outside the SEC like Ohio State has done, the team that Georgia's about to play to open the 2021 season, what Clemson has done. I think it remains to be seen if Georgia can be that good because it's hard to be that good. Scoring 40-plus points per game, you know, uh, being the, uh, you know, the vertical passing team that Kirby Smart has said he wants Georgia to be this year, that's not always an easy thing to do. But on paper, this is the best crop of Georgia receivers to attempt to do that any other point in time under Kirby Smart. More measurable talent in that receiver room right now than there has been at any point in time under Smart, and that's before you uh, hopefully get guys like Blaylock and Rosemary Jack Saint back healthy. And if you have even meager level of expectation for what they can provide for you coming back from injury, that's before you even get to that. And, um, yeah, so I think that's I think that's obviously a story worth watching. It's not easy to be that good. But from a measurable talent standpoint, this is Georgia's best shot at doing that so far under Kirby Smart. It's very quietly been, and we talked about this with Terrence Edwards yesterday, it's very quietly been one of the real stories for Georgia recruiting. You want to go back and look at the early days of Smart as a uh, recruiter at Georgia? You know, killing it at so many position groups, but not really killing at the wide receiver position, not bringing in a lot of, a lot of game-changing type guys. In the 2019 recruiting cycle, that all changed. You did bring in George Pickens. You did bring in Dominic Blaylock. The 2020 class brought even more, uh, at least in terms of numbers of guys who are potential contributors, even more. You thought 2021 was a little bit of a year off on that because of how many receivers Georgia had recruited the prior the, the prior two cycles. Then, lo and behold, A.D. Mitchell's a guy that maybe Georgia feels like he can play in his first year that truly, as Smart compared him to, a Jordan Davis, the kind of guy that the uh, industry may have slept on a little bit and, and, and Georgia had properly evaluated. So... It may not work out to the tune of Georgia having a great receiving core, but on paper, the guys Georgia starts the season with, even subtracting George Pickens, this is as close on paper as they've been to one of those kinds of groups that might be able to get that done. As we transition here to our SEC through, let me also uh, remind you here a little bit, you know, I love the new Georgia laws that are in place that allow some folks to kind of maybe kind of clean up their record a little bit if you've got a, a legal issue in the past. And that's what my friends at secondchance.law are going to help you do. Certain old convictions can be restricted off your criminal history, which is kind of a nice thing. Uh, the law can be confusing, though. So secondchance.law has put together an online quiz. When you simply answer those questions, it kind of gives you some some idea of, you know, is this something you'd be eligible for? And if you're not, then my friends at secondchance.law can also help you get eligible for all of that. Of course, one of the partners of secondchance.law is also a double dog. That means two-time UGA graduate. He's a former red coat, a guy that's uh, listened to Dog Nation daily for a long time, going back to when we first started in 2015. So these are good dog people 
Uh, it's always fun to do business with good dog folks. And this is a very important service for some folks who can really benefit themselves, better work opportunities, better, in some cases, living opportunities, lots of things like that. Secondchance.law can help you. Find them online, secondchance.law.com today. They'll take good care of you on all of that. All right, I ran out of music. Let me just kind of fly through the SEC through here uh, just for a second. I, I did just kind of want to respond to some of that related to the uh, wide receiver conversation. So Jason Kersey covers Oklahoma uh, for the athletic and he put it out on Twitter the Mike Woods thing we talked about the other day Woods leaving Arkansas pretty big surprise for an Arkansas team that we've kind of congratulated for holding on to a lot of talent from the previous year holding on the coordinators there as well and then somewhat surprisingly Woods goes into the transfer portal um, uh, Kersey is the, I guess the one that I saw on Twitter who's saying keep an eye on Oklahoma here for him you can understand why that'd be obviously Oklahoma's the place where wide receivers kind of go to thrive uh, and maybe that's exactly what Woods is going to do. You know, I had sort of thought maybe South Carolina was emerging here because of the presence of a position coach in Justin Strepp that that Woods had a pretty long-standing relationship with. Uh, Mike Griffith is correct to point out that the SEC still has the prohibition on uh, immediate eligibility for interconference transfers. I actually like the rule. I'd be fine if the SEC kept the rule. But last year they said, hey, we're going to change this just for this one year. To me, that's the hallmark of a weak parent. When you say, I'm going to make this exception just this one time, nobody ever makes an exception just one time. The SEC won't be able to do that either. They're going to eventually cave on this rule like they've caved. And frankly, a lot of college sports have caved on a number of their rules. And I'm thinking that's probably what's coming on this. And I guess I'd also kind of wondered, hey, deep threat, guy who caught average 20 yards a catch a year ago i think he had five or so touchdowns for arkansas a year ago you kind of wondered hey was this a guy that georgia might take a little bit of a look at but it sounds like he may end up going to oklahoma instead as far as the rest of our sec through goes here uh, more sec spring games on tap for the weekend i do have a schedule change to give you the ones that are slated to take place tomorrow you got texas a&m tennessee and old miss uh, you know, the other day we had an analytics expert on SEC Country Live, a guy named Dave Bartu from College Football Matrix, really touting Matt Corral there working in the Lane Kiffin offense here this season. Good enough to be a threat to the very deep, talented SEC West that exists right now. Uh, apparently some folks seem to think so. So keep your eye on Ole Miss there for uh, tomorrow, what Corral does. Tennessee is a total mess. Uh, so if you want to laugh at them, you can tune in for that. The quarterback battle between Jake Calzada and and uh, uh, Hayes King there at A&M is probably worth watching for a team that I do truly believe is a contender in the SEC West and real threat to Alabama. That might be an interesting uh, spring game to watch. And there's also a change coming in South Carolina where the Gamecocks were supposed to go tomorrow, but there's bad weather expected. It's going to rain in Georgia all day tomorrow too, but bad weather expected to kind of roll through Columbia tomorrow. So Gamecocks spring game has now been moved to Sunday. Ironically, that's what happened there in 2016 when the Georgia game against South Carolina got played on a Sunday there at williams Bryce Stadium. But the spring game for South Carolina, they are moving that to Sunday. So that is what's going on there. Also, incredibly sad news and it's always awkward kind of transition something like this but former Tennessee I should, I should say former Kentucky basketball player Terrence Clark who had just signed with an agent was in LA getting ready for the upcoming NBA draft was killed in a car crash and seeing statements from John Calipari and a lot, a lot of the college basketball world responding to this just you know such a uh, you know young man so full of energy and so much life 
still in front of him. Just as unspeakable a tragedy as you can get. So here on this show, obviously, you know, for any Kentucky fans who may be watching the Kentucky community all the way around, we obviously just, you know, send our prayers and, uh, you know, deep in our thoughts will be the folks there in Kentucky through all of this. Just an awful, awful news. I heard about this last night and I was just kind of floored to hear it. Just exactly the thing you don't ever want to hear for such a young man who had such a promising future. So uh, certainly our condolences, our prayers, just a sad day around the SEC with the passing uh, in a car crash of the former Kentucky basketball player Terrence Clark. So uh, very sad stuff there and will very awkwardly make that your SEC through. And I do want to mention this here real quick. So for the Diamond Dogs baseball team that has now won two SEC series in a row, the surprising upset series win against Vanderbilt two weeks ago, came back and responded by taking two of three from Kentucky this past weekend, going on the road uh, for Missouri here this weekend. Big chance for the Diamond Dogs. I saw one of the NCAA projections has Diamond Dogs as a two seed in the regional right now. Remember, the NCAA regionals are fixed sites this year because of the coronavirus pandemic, so you don't have a chance to earn a hosting opportunity. But I did see uh, George has a two seed in a regional right now and obviously wanting to kind of stay hot in relationship to all of that. So big series there in uh, Missouri against the uh, Tigers to, to keep your eyes on here this weekend. And if you care, also a huge series in the SEC this weekend with Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, two of the nation's best teams, squaring off against each other. So that's worth paying attention to there as well. And as we get ready to wrap up the show, wrap up the week here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger, we love doing our Gator Hater Roll Call, and we'd like to give out a golden shoe. Today I'm going to give one out to our buddy Fripp Dog on Twitter. He and I went back and forth uh, a little bit this week, and uh, you're talking about living the life, making me jealous. We'll make some of y'all jealous here for a moment. Let me show you Fripp Dog here on Twitter for a moment. Up there in the uh, beautiful world of Beaufort, South Carolina, got a nice little dwelling place. Dog Nation Daily on the big screen in front of him. So our buddy Fripp Dog checking in. He says, uh, was watching um, Dog Nation Daily by Meriwether and Tharp yesterday. He says, around here we get up at the crack of Dog Nation Daily. He says, Daily. How about that for a buddy Fripp Dog? And how nice would that be living in a beautiful part of the world? Sleeping a little late, waking up to watch some Dog Nation daily. Looks like they're having a really, really good time there in South Carolina. So good stuff all the way around there. How about Gator Hater Countdown as we get ready to say goodbye to you today? 190 days uh, until Georgia goes back to Jacksonville, beats Florida. We'll, we'll see you Monday. Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. We'll talk to you then, everybody. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We appreciate R.S. Andrews making this all possible. Air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric. You can find them online at rsandrews.com. I am going to be really quick with the uh, podcast, Cool Down, today, because I know a lot of you are just ready to get your weekend going and whatever you're doing here this weekend. I'm glad to have you doing it and sharing some of that time with us here today. I do want to tell a very, very quick story. Uh, I thought this was uh, was really good. At Bud Weisendog made me think about this on Twitter. He was referenced the fact that I read one of his comments during our cool down the other day, and he said that he'd been listening to the show back since we were doing. Uh, he, he says a, ho- a show in the hotel closet way back in 2015. That reminds me of something, and this may be what he's referencing, although I, I, maybe not. But so I, I told y'all. I guess it was on yesterday's show, that I was trying to find audio of Heinz Ward talking about wanting to coach Georgia. And so I went back and listened to a show from like way back in 2016 when I had interviewed Heinz Ward. And the audio that I used from the interview that I did with him, I, I, I wrote the story for dognation.com and probably would have been on seccountry.com at the time. And I uh, used some different audio for the show, so I couldn't find what I was looking for. But I got kind of fixated like listening to you know, this old 2016 episode of Dog Nation Daily. And it's just so fascinating to me to think about, you know, 
time passing and the way things used to be. This is, I mean, back then, you know, there was even no thought that we'd be doing the show on video and obviously being in you know studio like where we are right now. That was all just such a foreign concept. I was literally doing the show from a closet in my house. But there was this one time, and I have tried to find these episodes. They exist somewhere. I'm just not exactly sure, like, where they are. I just haven't been able to find them. So my boss at the time wanted me to go to a podcast convention, right? We wanted to just learn more about podcasts. And so he wanted me to go to a podcast convention. So at some point in time in the summer of, I guess it would have been 2016, summer of 2016, at some point in time before this Heinz Ward interview I was just referencing, I'm guessing, I went to Chicago for a podcast convention. But I've always been like really serious about making sure we do the show as much as we possibly can now every now and then i want to take a little bit of vacation time and some things like that so you know we may not always have a show each and every day but i don't want to miss too many days right because i want to serve the audience who chooses to be a part of what we do and then back then we were just getting started we'd only been around you know for less than a year i definitely didn't want to miss any days back then so I'm going to go to this podcast convention, but we still got to try to figure out some way to do the podcast. And just life was just different back then. You know, you know, the idea that it was easy to, you know, kind of portably transport, you know, a bunch of equipment, things like that just wasn't quite as easy to do back then. So I had some sort of makeshift studio. I was going to try to do the podcast from from this hotel room in Chicago. And you ever just get something in your head and you just can't quite get it out of your head? So the the surroundings in this hotel room were just so unusual for me in comparison to the way that I normally do the show that I just could not be normal. I just could not get my normal podcast vibe going. And so I was talking really low like this. And no matter how much I tried to get the energy level going and just be me doing the show the way I typically did it. I just, it was a road game. I just could not get into my normal vibe. And to this day, it's probably still the most embarrassing moment for me in dog nation daily history. I wish I could find an example to play for you. I sound like Jim Nance doing a golf tournament, you know, uh, he's going to have 155 yards into the green from here. Like I was doing like that kind of whisper voice and I could not stop doing it. I, it was like a week's worth of shows or at least three, probably three days with the shows where I was, talking in a whisper voice like this and people kind of mocked me for it but they didn't really give me too much grief for it which I was really thankful for but what a strange thing <laughs> just you know change things up you are um you're just out of your normal sur- surroundings and it just really did a number on me so I may try to find these for you at some point in time and you can hear an example of uh, of me <laughs> in what I thought was fairly fairly uh, odd version of Dog Nation Daily for those couple days back in the summer of 2016 when I was doing the show from a hotel room. As it as it stands now, I've done the show from all kinds of places and eventually just sort of get used to doing it and just sort of assume that your loud voice is going to be tolerated wherever you are. But back then, that was still a little bit different. So, by the way, there are um, a couple of uh, comments I also want to get to here on the uh, DogNation.com. Let me read these here real quick there as well. A dog fan 2009 says, are there any plans to post the SEC Country and Freeze Frame as podcast? Uh, more content to listen to on the road would be awesome. Uh, Dogfan2009, yes. The answer is yes. Ironically, we actually just talked about this yesterday. So tell me what you think about this, Dogfan, and anybody else who wants to weigh in on this too. So part of me kind of wonders how Freeze Frame would do as a podcast. I think it would 
in terms of I want that to kind of be a visual medium if it's too visual does it take away from the podcast part of that you know post game show things like that making those into a podcast seems to make a lot of sense and we actually have a new podcast feed not dog nation daily but an additional dog nation podcast feed that we can put them on but uh yeah the talk is that and we are definitely going to put sec country live back on a podcast again too um that is going to happen it needs to happen uh but the answer to the question dog fan is yes it's a definite yes on sec country live and a probable yes on um on on you know freeze frame and some of the other shows that i'm doing but thank you so much for asking i appreciate that also navy dog weighing in to say terrence edwards one of the greatest dogs ever on and off the field of play so many great memories of terrence glad he brought up lad mcconkey i was proud of the way that keely ringo put that legal uh, wicked pop on him yeah a uh, big hit there for sure two guys just playing hard a navy dog says show some of the potential of ringo being a hard hitter but I was also equally proud of Ladd hanging on to the ball after taking such a big hit. A lot of receivers would have coughed up the ball right there after taking a hit like that. I think both these young men are going to have great careers at Georgia and beyond. I think Navy Dog says that really well. So it's great to get those comments. Great to have those as a part of the discussion today. As I've told you before, make sure you weigh in by going as Navy Dog, DogFan2009 there, did to our comment section at dognation.com or hit me up on Twitter at dognationdaily. You can be a part of our podcast, Cool Down. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks to R.S. Andrews for making this possible. Find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They will deliver a smile for you because story after story, that's what they've done for so many people. As I said, find them online at rsandrews.com. See you back here Monday, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. Have a great weekend, everybody.